Welcome to Leading Lights. You're about to hear a message from Lighthouse Church. So we are looking at the early church. We are saying that it's a pattern, but it's also a beautiful inspiration. You know, when you look at family photos from many, many generations ago, it just inspires you and it gives you a sense of where you came from. And it also shows you how great your family could have been and has been in the past. And the book of Acts shows us our early days, the family of God, the way we started. And it starts off by saying all that Jesus began to do and to teach, which means that Jesus is still wanting to do these things. You know, there are still all the elements of Christianity that were there in the book of Acts. They are still here today. The word of God is still with us. The power of God's spirit has been poured out on all flesh and he is still available to us. And the great commission that Jesus gave to them is the same great commission that he has given to us. So today we're looking at Acts chapter 4. And I've entitled this one prison because the apostles, Peter and John, do you remember in Acts chapter 3, they healed a man who had been lame from birth. They healed him and it was a a dramatic healing. And in Acts chapter 4, they are arrested And they are bullied by the authorities. And the authorities tell them, you mustn't preach in Jesus' name anymore. You mustn't do these things. And they say, we must obey God rather than men. And eventually they are let out of prison. But in Acts chapter 5, they're put in prison again. And again and again throughout the following chapters of Acts, we see them put in prison. And persecution and imprisonment was a part of our heritage our early church heritage. You know, we sometimes think of martyrs and persecuted Christians as something far away, a a previous age or another country. But I want to say to you that you and I as Christians, if we are living for Christ, we will be persecuted. The Bible promises it. And you might say, I'm not sure I've been persecuted. I promise you, you have. If you've lived for Christ, if you've put Christ first, his morals and his standards and obeying him first and his mission for your life, I promise you there are things that you have sacrificed. I had a friend who came from a very wealthy family and his father said to him when he became a Christian, if you're going to stay a Christian, I will disinherit you. You will not inherit anything from me. And he said, I will not give up Christ. There were a group of missionaries close to where I lived in Zimbabwe who were murdered. They were part of the Elam denomination and they were murdered for their faith. My wife's uh, family were part of a Christian community and they had very close friends in another town in Zimbabwe who were murdered for their faith because they were Christians and they refused to give up. I've known other people who have suffered and been killed or been persecuted and lost something for their faith. And I want to say it is a part of our Christianity and we would do well to understand it. I don't know if you've seen or heard the phrase first world problems, where people mock us as modern people because we complain about the silliest little things like our internet is too slow or whatever it is. We complain so easily 
But I want to say to you, my dear friend, if you are a believer, if you are a Christian, you have something inside of you which is extremely strong, the ability to stand up for God and to do great things. And I'm going to help you to see today that it plays out in everyday life. And if we allow this more and more to be part of our Christian life, we will have the same effect on the world that the Christians did in the book of Acts. So reading from chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Now as they spoke to the people, the priests, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them, being greatly disturbed that they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. It's interesting, the resurrection was the thing that people were most upset about. And they laid hands on them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. However, many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of men came to be about 5,000. What would you do if you were speaking about Jesus and somebody said to you, unless you stop speaking about Jesus, we're going to put you in prison? What would you do? This is a reality for some people. I know there are people in our modern world who are facing these situations. Verse 5, And it came to pass on the next day that their rulers, elders, and scribes, as well as Annas the high priest, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, and as many as were of the family of the high priest, were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had set them in the midst, they asked, By what power or by what name have you done this? What's your authority? Who do you think you are? Do you realize how great we are? We're the ones with all the power. We're the ones in charge. Who on earth said you could do this? Who do you think you are? And the humility of Christians, being willing to be humble, to honor, to obey, but also to say there is a greater king than you, is one of the greatest witnesses that you and I can have. Verse 8, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders of Israel, If we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means he has been made well, let it be known to you all, and to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. And he goes on to speak about Jesus. He loves every opportunity he can. He speaks about Jesus. Verse 13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled and they realized that they had been with Jesus. It's so interesting that just a few weeks before this, Peter especially was timid and afraid. The disciples were hiding in an upper room. But the power of the Holy Spirit gives us boldness. The righteous are as bold as a lion, Proverbs says, but the wicked flee, though no one pursues them. And that is part of the heritage that we have in Christ, this boldness with, with control, with honor, with respect, but a boldness that says, I will not go beyond this line. This is what I must do for the Lord. Verse 14, and seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they could say nothing. But when they had commanded them to go outside of the council, they conferred among themselves and they basically did the expedient thing. They said, the people are so impressed with this miracle, we, we're going to let them go. But they warned them. And in verse 18, it says, So they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. Now, this is the first example of when human rules 
collide with God's mission for us. You see, God has told us to speak about Jesus and to tell people about him. God has told us to do various things, to spread the gospel, to baptize people, uh, to meet together, to give money to the poor and to the church's mission. God has told us various things to do. And there are times when the rules of the government or perhaps the rule of your parents or the rules of your spouse or the rule of your employer conflict with what God has told you. What are you going to do, Christian? How are you going to handle it? We can learn so much from these early Christians. But Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way of punishing them because of the people. They said, we must obey God before men. Now, there have been so many examples of this. There are Christians who say, I don't want to kill anyone. And so if I'm uh, conscripted into the army, I am not going to kill anyone. And they ask for positions where they don't have to kill people or they're willing to go to prison rather than kill someone. I'm not uh, making a judgment. I'm just saying these things happen today. There are nurses and pharmacists and doctors who are asked to be involved in euthanasia, which means taking the life of someone because they seem to be too old or, or incapacitated or too sick. And they say, I can't do that. And sometimes they lose their jobs. Sometimes they are demoted or disciplined or sometimes put in prison. There are people who are required to do things that go against their conscience and they say, I cannot do it. This is happening. This is persecution every day. I was asked early on in my working life to work on a Sunday morning and great pressure was put on me and I said, I must go to church. <laughs> and I suffered big time for that. Uh, just more socially, the rest of my colleagues ostracized me and said, no, we, we don't want to talk to you. We don't want to invite you out. You're not part of our friendship group anymore. But there are things where we sometimes have to say, I'm willing to stand up and make a stand and pay a price if necessary. Do you remember Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego? They were told everyone in the land must worship this the statue. Whenever you hear this music, you must bow down and worship the statue. And everyone else in the whole country did it except them. And they were threatened with being thrown into a fiery furnace. They said, God can save us from this furnace. But even if he doesn't, we're not going to bow down and worship anyone other than God. Friends, it's good and important for us to know where are the lines that are drawn in our lives where we say, I will not go beyond this line. First of all, the things God has told me to do I will do them whether someone tells me not to or not. Secondly, the things that God has told me not to do, I will not do them, even if I've, I am compelled by law or by somebody else to do them. And then thirdly, we're going to see later on today, there is the law of love where I withhold my rights. I say, I have a right to do this, this, and this. It's my right. I am free to do it, but I don't exercise it. I choose not to because I love other people. 
verse 23. And being let go, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. So when they had heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the mouth of your servant David have said, why did the nations rage and the people plot vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined beforehand to be done. Now, Lord, look on their threats. Grant to your servant servants that with all boldness they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken. There was an earthquake and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God with boldness. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit again. Acts chapter 2, they were filled. Here they're filled again because being filled with the Spirit is not supposed to be once only, but an ongoing experience. And the result is they spoke the word of God with boldness. And then the next passage in this chapter says that they shared everything. They sold all their possessions. They shared with those who were in need. Um, and there was amazing unity and love amongst them. And we see these themes running through miracles, uh, being persecuted and imprisoned, um, them praying and being filled with the Holy Spirit, and also them sharing all their goods and living in this fellowship together. But I want to just talk now practically for you and I about how do we put this into practice. You might say, I, I'm not sure how this works. I'm not sure what to do. And I'm going to just give you a few pointers. Number one, we obey God first before men. If God has told you to do something, we must obey him rather than obey people. Because God is our ultimate Lord, our ultimate King. He is above every authority. If you are a child or a, a spouse and you say, my spouse doesn't allow me to go to church. My parents don't want me to go to church. It's very difficult for you, but I would encourage you to say, I must obey God rather than men. You say, Craig, what is this you're saying to us? This sounds ridiculous. Friends, this is what the Bible teaches. We obey God rather than men. There is a, a respect. Let me read to you a passage from 1 Peter chapter 2, which shows the respect that we're supposed to have. It says, Verse 13, therefore submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme or to governors as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men as free. You are free from obeying them, but you choose to obey them with respect and honor as free, yet not using liberty as a cloak for, for vice, but as bond servants of God, honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. There's this respect, this honor, this deference. We're not rude. We're not rebellious. We don't slander people. We don't talk badly of anyone. It says honor all people, especially those in authority. We speak with respect. We say, sir, madam. We say, yes, sir. No, madam. But I 
respectfully cannot comply. We don't throw our, our hands up or throw our toys out of the cot and, and fly off the handle. We are respectful and we submit. But there are times where we have to say, I must obey God more than men. So it may be in a family situation. It may be an employer who says you have to work instead of go to church or you, I don't know, whatever, whatever the, the, the thing is they're asking you to do. They may be asking you to do something immoral like steal or lie or cheat or, or whatever it is. And there are times where we say, no, enough is enough. But I want to say that honoring the authorities and honoring God sometimes means we're willing to pay a price. You see, we read these verses about submitting and honoring the authorities, and we think that means we must always do what they do. But we've seen from Acts that sometimes we don't do what they do. We treat them with honor. But this is the key. If I am willing to pay the penalty that they set, then I am still honoring that authority. So, for instance, a person who feels they cannot kill and they say, I will not do that, but I will go to prison instead. They are still honoring the authorities because they're saying, I'm complying with your rules. I have a higher king who is God, but I am still complying with your rules. You say, why do we do that? Why don't we just tell the authorities to get lost? Why don't we have huge demonstrations and try and overthrow the government? Why don't we slander them and tell them how bad they are? The reason is because all authority comes from God, Romans 13 says, and God will one day hold those authorities to account. Even if they're not believers, God will require an account from them because God says, I put you in authority with the ability to make those decisions. And if you misrepresent my righteousness and if you treat those under your authority badly, God will hold them to account for that. And so we honor them. We take whatever penalty they're willing to dish out or they're wanting to give us. But we say, I see a higher authority, which is God. And this is the witness. You know, the word martyr and the word witness are the same word in the Bible because our, our willingness to suffer for a higher cause is a great witness to the world. Tertullian, who was in the second century AD, said that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. He said, whenever people suffer for Christ and die, the church grows even more. I love the stories of the martyrs. There are so many. You can read them. You can look them up on the internet. Let me read you a couple of these stories. There was a historian, a Roman historian called Minucius Felix. He wrote, how many of our people have borne that not their right hand only, but their whole body should be burned without any cries of pain. Do I compare men with your Roman heroes? Boys and young women among us treat with contempt crosses and tortures, wild beasts and all the bugbears of punishment with the inspired patience of suffering. This was the witness. The, the authorities, the culture knew these Christians have something different because they're willing to suffer for Christ. Isn't that amazing? Let me just read you about Polycarp. In 150-odd AD, he died, and, and the, the governor who was telling him to recant Christianity, he said, you must just say 
Caesar is Lord, not Christ is Lord. You must give up this, this Christianity. Just simply say, you're not a Christian and we won't punish you anymore. He said, I have wild beasts at hand. I will throw you to them if you don't repent. And Polycarp said, call them then. We're not used to repenting of what is good in order to adopt what is evil. And the governor said, if you won't repent, I'll have you burned with fire since you have no regard for the wild beasts. And Polycarp said, you threaten me with fire that burns for an hour, then goes out after a little while. You're ignorant, however, of the fire of the coming judgment and of eternal punishment reserved for the ungodly. What are you waiting for? Bring out whatever you want. And then an eyewitness wrote, when he spoke these things and many others like them, he was filled with confidence and joy. His face was so full of grace that not only did it seem like he wasn't troubled by anything, said to him, but the proconsul was astonished and burned him alive. The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. And friend, it's not just martyrdom. It's when you don't take a pay rise or a promotion because you're not willing to do something wrong or immoral or speak badly of someone else or go and get drunk with your friends or whatever it is. When you stand up for Christ, when you have this boldness within you, Christ is with you. Now, I must just tell you of the law of love, because this is also relevant where sometimes we think I must obey God and not men. And therefore, I'm going to do what God has given me the freedom to do. And there are so many passages that speak about this in the Bible. Uh, Romans chapter 14, Paul says that there are some disputable matters. And he was talking about some people keep certain religious festival days and Sabbaths as holy and others don't think they're holy and some people will not eat certain foods and meats whereas others will and he said don't use your freedom let me read you a couple of of these verses Romans 14 14 I know a man convinced and am convinced by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself but to him who considers anything to be unclean to him it is unclean he's talking about food. Some people in the Christian circles didn't want to eat pork. Yet if your brother is grieved because of your food, you are no longer walking in love. Do not destroy with your food the one for whom Christ died. Therefore, let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify another. It is good neither to eat meat nor drink wine, nor do anything by which your brother stumbles or is offended, or is made weak. I've been in communion services where we've had real wine, and somebody in the congregation is a recovering alcoholic, and it's not good for them to drink wine. And all of us drink fruit juice instead of wine. That is what this verse is talking about. I've been in places where some Christians feel it's fine to have a little bit of wine, but other Christians believe we mustn't drink any alcohol. The ones who are more free say we will withhold our freedom and we will not drink alcohol so that we don't offend. Can you see how the law of love applies? And Paul goes on in 1 Corinthians to talk about this a lot. In 1 Corinthians 8, he talks about, um, well, let me read the verses. They're so explanatory. Verse 9, he says, Beware lest somehow this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to those who are weak. For if anyone sees you, who have knowledge, eating in an idol's temple, will not the conscience 
of him who is weak be emboldened to eat those things offered to idols. And because of your knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died. But when you thus sin against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never again eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. And in 1 Corinthians 10, he speaks even more about that. He says, you are free to eat meat, even if it's been offered to an idol. And as long as you haven't been involved in the actual worship of the idol ceremony, if you just eat meat and you don't worry about it, you just take it, you eat it, that's fine. But if it's causing one of your Christian brothers to stumble because his conscience is hurt by it, don't eat meat. Can you see how they were willing to subject themselves to something for a higher purpose, the law of love? And so, yes, I must obey God rather than men, but God tells me to love my brothers and not to put a stumbling block in their way. Can you see all the little shades and aspects of this matter? It's so interesting and so important. And then lastly, I just want to show you how Paul used his freedom and withheld his freedom in order to reach more people for Christ. So in 1 Corinthians 9, he says, If others are partakers of this right over you, are we not even more? Nevertheless, we have not used this right but endure all things lest we hinder the gospel of Christ. Paul was saying, I have rights. I'm free to do various things. In this modern world, you may feel you don't need to wear a mask. And that's fine. But what if it causes your brother to stop coming to church or to stumble or to feel weak? You see how the law of love allows us to, to do things and even reduce our freedoms so that we bless others. He says, I endure all things so that I don't hinder the gospel of Christ. For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win the more. I have become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. Father, please help us to obey you rather than men, but to obey the law of love. Lord, to use our freedoms to serve you, to serve your mission, to serve your ministry, but to love people, to bring people in and to preserve unity. Father, I pray that you would give us wisdom and understanding to know how to be bold and to serve you, but to serve others as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. Please visit leadinglightsnetwork.com for more resources and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Please consider supporting this ministry by making a donation on the giving page at leadinglightsnetwork.com or lighthousejersey.com.